I invite you to be seated even as I release the children through grade four off to the teachers who are ready for them. So excited to be here with you yet again. Isn't it amazing? It's called warmth, in case you had forgotten. I, uh, I know I, some of those sub-zero days I was out blowing snow and asking God whose prayers he was answering. And I'm sure there's somebody here, so amen. Well, we're looking at this um, series of what does it mean to be a disciple? And um, the reason we're doing that is because here at Calvary, especially this year, what we're focusing on is being disciples who are looking to make disciples who will then be able to make disciples. And so it's this idea of continuing the, um, the message of Jesus and the gospel to as many people as possible in the world. And it's the message that's been entrusted to us. And so as we think of what does it mean to be a disciple? And so we started by looking at the truth that a disciple is a follower and then... Um, from there, we went to, um, anybody remember? Humility, right. And then obedience, we looked at humility, we looked at obedience, we looked at, at what does it mean to know the love of God and have the love of God shown from our lives. And then um, last week, <laughs> these are always the ones that are the toughest, right? Is what, what did I talk about last week? And you all remember because you remember the songs, right? New creation, Absolutely. And so what does it mean to be a new creation? So in each one of these things, as we're looking at it and seeing what that means and what that looks like, um, somebody got the remote. There we go. All right, it's all good. And we're looking at what does it mean to be a disciple? And, uh, and in the midst of all of that, to realize that, that there's so many different things that a, a disciple is. And today, we're looking at the truth that a disciple is grateful. A disciple is grateful. We're in Colossians. And, um, and our big idea for today is that knowing Jesus brings an overwhelming sense of gratitude. An overwhelming sense of gratitude. And uh, it's, it's really amazing. And this letter to the church in, in Colossae, I think, is, is a, a really significant letter that Paul has written. And um, if we look at the letter to the church in Philippi, the Philippians, then we see that many times that that particular letter is considered a, a letter of joy. And it, it's, it's thought of that this is a way that we can know how to be joyful. And I would say to you that this church in Colossae, as Paul wrote to them, I think what he's helping them to understand is how can we be thankful and how can we be grateful and how can we live with a sense of gratitude? And he points out to them that knowing Jesus brings that overwhelming sense of gratitude. Now, more so than maybe any other letter that was written, this particular letter does an incredible job of talking about Jesus. The study of Jesus is Christology, and so, so as we look at this particular letter to the church in Colossians, a lot of times there's so many different things in there that help us understand who Jesus is and what the significance is of Christ coming. And Christ, you may know, is, is Christos, that's Messiah. It's the promised, anointed Son of God, King from the Old Testament. And so as we look at this, we see that, that Christ is such a significant aspect of the book of Colossians. And so he's urging this church in Colossae, and there are people that he had never met 
um, yet, and, and that um, actually one of his disciples, Epaphras, had actually planted this church, and so he's writing to them, and in many ways, he's helping them to understand what they have already received as they wait for that which has not yet come. And the truth is, most of the people you meet, the majority of people you meet, are not Christ followers. They don't know who Jesus is, and and they don't know what's waiting for them. And so they live without Christ in this present world, and they're just kind of lingering, wondering what comes next. So they live in the present, waiting for the unknown. But for us as followers of Christ, a disciple, we live in the present in the already aspect of Christ in us, even as we wait for the not yet aspect of the completion of our salvation. When we see Jesus face to face and we, and we jump into his arms and bow down before him all at the same time, and so we, we live in this richness that's already here. And so Paul, as he's writing to them, helps them to understand the amazing truth that that is. And so Thanksgiving finds its way all the way through the letter, and it begins in the first chapter. In verse 11, he's praying that they would be strengthened with all power according to the glorious might of God for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And so right as he starts out talking about Jesus and what has happened because of him, that we have been brought from darkness into light. And so we have this amazing thanks that comes to us because we've been qualified to share in the inheritance in heaven that's waiting for us. And then in the second chapter, in verse six, he says, therefore, as you have received Christ, so walk in him, rooted, built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So this unbelievable truth that we've received Christ, we can be rooted in him, and because we can be rooted in him, we can experience a life of thankfulness that just exudes from us. And then he comes into the verses we're looking at here in the third chapter as we begin to realize that there's ways and reasons that we can be overwhelmed with a sense of gratitude that comes just from knowing Jesus. And the first thing we see is that the peace of Christ ruling brings gratitude. The peace of Christ ruling in our lives, in our hearts, brings gratitude. And so Paul starts out here in in verse 15 and says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. So he starts out by telling them to, to be aware of the peace of Christ in their lives. And that peace of Christ is such an amazing thing. Actually, if we consider that in the letter to the church in Ephesus, Paul, as he's writing to them, says, Jesus is our peace. So not only is there the peace of Christ, it's actually Jesus is our peace. 
On the night he was betrayed in the Gospel of John, those four amazing chapters that, that unpack for us the most intimate teaching, I believe, of Jesus with his disciples. And, and as he's talking to them in the 14th chapter, he says, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. There's a peace of Christ that we've been given as followers of Jesus. You see, it's this, this peace that comes from understanding and knowing that we were at one time in enmity with God. See, that's the beautiful truth of the gospel, isn't it? The truth that at one point in time, each one of us was an enemy of God. Our sin places us in enmity with God opposed to God and earning the death that, that was due to us from that, separated from him. While we're designed to be in his presence, sin separates us from that. Because of God's wrath poured out against sin, we, we are separated from him and, and separated from him for eternity. Yet in Christ, as Jesus came and made it possible for that reconciliation to come as we talked about last week, that, that the enmity we had, that the sin that was in our lives, see that, that, that anxiousness, the bitterness, the, the, all the chaos in your life that's caused from being separated from God, that realm of darkness, that through Jesus, that through reconciliation, through asking God to forgive, you can step into the very presence of God in a reconciled relationship, a relationship that is restored to even more than you could imagine. And to realize that at that point in time, the peace of Christ comes into your life. Now this isn't the peace that the world gives. This is supernatural peace. This is amazingly powerful peace. This is peace like you can't even begin to imagine. And as Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So it's this idea that the peace of Christ, as I said, you're designed to be in the presence of God. You're designed to be in the presence of God. And as you are in the presence of God, you are overwhelmed with a sense of the peace of God in your life. Now, this isn't the same thing as having some sort of personal peace where you're just seeking to find whatever it is that makes you feel good. This is way beyond that. And this peace is to rule in your hearts. That becomes significant because Paul says, see, it's, it's what you've been called to. You've been called to be part of a body in which there's peace. Each one of us who've come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior, you see, are part of the body of Christ, this one body that Paul speaks of here. We are called to be part of that body. We are the body of Christ. And, and that metaphor allows us to see the unity that we must have between us. And any sort of discord or things like that that come into that, break that. And it's not just that this is something that's supposed to be a side effect. It's what we've been called into. We've been hearkened 
into this. We've been, we've been brought into this unity that comes from being in one body. And it's the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts that allows for that to happen. I remember when my, when my kids were young, I was absolutely convinced that I needed to parent their actions, right? Because I wanted to be a good parent. And if I was to be a good parent, then my kids needed to act right, right? I mean, you, you know, you're in the Walmart and you hear a kid acting up and immediately you think to yourself, that child has great parents. Right? All too late. All too late I, I learned that God didn't entrust me with children so that I could parent their actions. He entrusted me with children so that I could parent their hearts. See, man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't need to be concerned about actions. But actions flow from the heart. And as we begin to understand and see, as, as this passage talks to us and says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. It's not just about giving lip service to this. It's not just about acting as if you're peaceful. It's about really your heart experiencing this amazing transformation that's come because now Jesus dwells in your heart. And as he comes into your heart, he brings his peace into your heart. And it rules your heart. And it rules our hearts collectively. And as we consider that and think about it, this word for rule is the most interesting word. In the original language, it actually means umpire. Umpire. And, and so you're like, well, how does that fit? Let the peace of Christ umpire in your hearts. It's this idea of, of almost like an arbitrator. Like if some way there's some anxiousness or discord that's coming around in us, and it's bound to happen because we're different, aren't we? Do you know that we probably don't agree with each other on everything? Right? But how do we let the peace of Christ umpire that, arbitrate that, control that, so that as the world looks on, they see us as those who love one another, in the midst of all of that. And then Paul says, and be thankful. I love that. I don't know how you do it memorizing scripture, but this is one of those that you can memorize and be thankful. All right? You can memorize that. And do you know you can find places for it? In every day, Lord, that person just blessed me. They let me go ahead of them in line and be thankful. Lord, I just hit three green lights and be thankful. Lord, the tire just blew out on my car and be thankful. 
See, this idea of what does that mean? And the truth is, this word for thankful in the original language is found only one place in all of Scripture, right here, right here in this verse. And Paul, when he uses this verse, what he's getting at is find a way to have an outward expression of your gratitude. That's what that word means, is that there'd be an outward expression of your gratitude. So find ways to be thankful. Find ways to have outward expression of the inward peace that you have in the very heart of who you are. See, knowing Jesus brings an overwhelming sense of gratitude. The peace of Christ ruling brings gratitude. The word of Christ dwelling brings gratitude. The word of Christ dwelling brings gratitude. And you'll notice these are ING words, which means they are a continuing thing. Okay, so it's this ongoing, continuing thing. And so as we look at this, we see, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is an amazing verse. In some ways, it describes a worship service. But it's also, as Paul's speaking to this church in Colossae, it's letting them see another reason to be thankful and another reason to be thankful and another reason to stir thankfulness in you and to begin to create a gratitude spirit is to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That word dwell has the idea of making, making your home. So how does the word of God make its home in your heart, in your life? And how does it begin to dwell in you richly, bearing fruit, be, beginning to produce in you something that's amazing? So the idea of the word of Christ dwelling in you, and, and the word of Christ is the gospel. It's, it's the... Um, it's the truth of who Jesus is. It's, it's that truth that he, he has come to save us, but it's the truth that he is in you. It's the, the truth of, of his power to live the abundant life that he's come that we might live. And so as we look at what does it mean for that word of Christ to dwell in you richly, we see it's through teaching and admonishing. That admonishing means reproof and warning. And so this is so important, this warning aspect. See, the word of God is here to teach us, but it's here to admonish us and to warn us. And the truth is, even as we talk about this idea of gratitude, and I've been looking at this this week and, and asking myself, am I a grateful person? Am I a person who, who can be identified as, as a person who has gratitude? And, and to realize there's some, some work that needs to be done here. But how does the word of Christ dwelling in me allow that to happen? I was doing some research on on gratitude, and do you know that there's tests that can show if there's any activity in your brain? <laughs> That's kind of a loaded thing, isn't it, you know? Yeah. Sorry, we did a scan of your brain and it showed something good. Um, but, you know, um, so, so as, you, as you look at that, 
And you see that a person who has gratitude as part of their makeup, their brain seems more alive than a person who's not grateful and doesn't have gratitude as part of their makeup. Now, what they've shown is that as you work at this, you can develop gratitude in your, in your life and you can renew your mind so that it has a different, a different um, outcome. That always makes me think of Romans 12. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, that's what's so amazing about, about Jesus coming into your life. He not only comes in and takes that heart of stone and makes it heart of flesh, he also comes into your life and he, and he allows you to have these things you need to be able to renew your mind. And so to allow the word of Christ to dwell in you richly means to harbor that word of God in your heart. The psalmist in Psalm 119 and verse 11 says, I have hidden or I have stored up your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. So there's this idea of taking the word of God and placing it in your heart, in the very core of who you are. And, and this verse, interestingly enough, as, as different, um, different theologians who examine how the original language should be translated into the new language and those types of things. As they've come to this, there's this, there's this sense in which this verse could be translated as, as not only does the, does the word of Christ dwell in our hearts through teaching and admonishing, but it also comes through the songs that we sing. And so there's this amazing truth. And I grew up in the 70s. Do you know there are a lot of songs that were written in the 70s that those lyrics are not worth knowing? See, I am absolutely confident that everybody who hears my messages wakes up on Monday morning rehearsing the three points and the big idea. Probably not. But you may wake up tomorrow morning thinking, how marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. Right? That may come to you. See, one of the reasons we're so careful about the songs we choose here is because to have the word of Christ dwell in your hearts means yes through the teaching, yes through memorization, yes through understanding what God's word says, but also these songs that you commit to memory and, and that you sing out loud in your car at the stop sign and everybody smiles. And as you, as you think of those songs, as, as those, if those words are not the truth of the whole counsel of God, if they take things out of context, and, and so we are so careful, and we use all sorts of styles here. It's not a style thing, rather it's a content thing, so that as these words are going over and over in your mind and in your heart, they're reinforcing the truth of God. And the word of God begins to dwell in your heart. And you begin to sing. You see, that's the amazing thing. What this verse is saying is, listen, if you allow the word of Christ to dwell in your heart, your heart sings. And your heart sings to God and it sings to each other. That's the one another. See it there? One another. 
And that's the beautiful thing. So I fully expect when you walk out of here, you start singing to each other. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Paul's saying whatever type of songs you're using, make sure they're songs that are allowing the word of Christ to dwell in your life. I remember when I was younger, there was a song that we would sing. And, and I think when, when did we sing this song? Was it when the kids were little? Or when we were, yeah, because, I don't know, as you get older, life just all blends together. <clears throat> I forgot where I was. Oh, yeah. So there's this amazing little song that we sang. Input, output. What goes in must come out. Input, output. Daily you must choose. Listen, if we're going to have the word of Christ dwell in us richly, then we need to be placing an emphasis on the word of Christ being what we put in so that what comes out reflects him and his truth. See, that's the deal. It's not about... It's not about shepherding, from my standpoint, it's not about me shepherding your actions. It's about me caring for your hearts, teaching and admonishing your hearts. Because when your hearts are given over to God, do you know what kind of actions are gonna be coming out? Now we let God worry about that. Because he's taking your heart and he's moving it to what he wants you to be. And that's how then the peace of Christ reigns. Because all of a sudden, it's his agenda for your life. Knowing Jesus brings an overwhelming sense of gratitude. The peace of Christ ruling brings gratitude. The word of Christ dwelling brings gratitude. The name of Christ influencing brings gratitude. The name of Christ influencing brings gratitude. Now, this verse is really exciting. And I wonder, as you think of that, what is it that influences your actions? What is it that influences who you are and how you respond to things and what you do and how you live your life? What is your primary influencer? Paul's saying, whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. What I love about Paul is he's, he's like, <laughs> Mr. Flexible, right? He loves absolutes. See, in Christ, whatever you do, everything, absolutely everything needs to be done as you're overwhelmed with the peace of Christ in your life, as you're overwhelmed with the word of God dwelling in your life, the next thing you know, everything you say, everything you do, every word you speak, every action you have is done in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, in a way, that's true. Because listen, if you've come to that point in your life where you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, you are a Christian, and you bear his name. So everything you do is done in the name of Jesus in that way. And so what happens and what's so exciting about this is as the world looks on, and this is God's design, we looked at this last week, that we would be the ones who he's making his appeal through us, we're his ambassadors, we're his representatives, 
we're working with Christ. Christ is making his appeal through us. And so as we go out in his name, people who don't know who Jesus is begin to get a glimpse of who he is by watching us and seeing us and seeing how we move together as a body. And in here, he says, everything needs to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. So what that means is we need to be living our lives in a way that is Christocentric. Christocentric, all right? Not egocentric. Now, those are big words. What do those mean? Well, centric means center. And Christo means Christ, and ego means self. So you have a choice of how to live once you've come to know Christ as your Savior. Prior to knowing Christ, you have no choice. You're egocentric. You are focused on yourself, and, and you're focused on what you can have and what you need and what you need for peace and how you're going to get along, and you're trapped in darkness, basically. Because when you begin with yourself, you have no purpose, you have no reason, you have no meaning. All of the big answers of life are void. Because when we begin with ourselves and when we try to begin with people, and that's the whole problem with humanism, is there's no outcome that comes from that. So being egocentric is being trapped in a mindset that has no hope. But what Paul is saying here is, listen, you have Christ, so do everything. Everything you say and do, do it in the name of Christ. Be Christocentric. Have Christ be the center of everything that you do so that you, you, know, you know your purpose. Your purpose is to be in an intimate relationship with God and to live out his plan for your life here as you wait for the eternal presence in, in heaven and new earth that's waiting for us. And so as you do that, as you begin to live your life in light of eternity, in the name of the, the Lord Jesus, and what that means is according to his nature and his character, taking hold of everything that he teaches and everything that he stands for, and having that be who you are, as you live your life in that way, you will naturally be giving thanks to God, the Father, through Jesus now, see, that's huge. We relate to the Father because of Jesus. We relate to the Father through Jesus. It's only through Jesus that we have access to the Father. See, if, if you don't know Jesus and you're praying, you're not praying to the Father because the way that you get to the Father is through Jesus. And so as we realize that and as we see that, we begin to see what does it mean to give thanks to God through Jesus? He is our mediator. He is the mediator who stands between us and God. It is the Son, Jesus, who makes the Father known. It is the Son who draws us into his presence. It is the Son in our lives that allows us to see who God is in such a way that we begin to magnify and glorify him for all that he's done and for all that he is in our lives. And it lets our hearts sing and it lets us begin to live in gratitude. Anything less than that is taking the Lord's name in vain. Anything less than that is taking the Lord's name in vain. You have been given the name of Christ. 
And you have been given the name of Christ so that everything you do and everything you say can be done in his name. And to do it in any other way is to take his name in vain. So how do we do this? How do we begin to really focus on what it means to be a person who's grateful, to have this overwhelming sense of gratitude? Well, first and foremost, it's to really come to an understanding of what God has done in your life. The culture we live in makes it really hard to not be egocentric. It makes it really hard to not think about what's in it for me and what's best for me, what's good for me. And I found that when I'm really in that mode, (laughs) which is all too often, I'm not really very grateful because people don't line up with what I what I'm really expecting for them to give me. But as I begin to realize exactly what Jesus has done to make the presence of God possible for me, to make it possible for me to actually be in the presence of God, listen, do you know what it is to be in the presence of God? Do you know what it means to rest in the presence of God? And, and the more that you come to a place where you're able to understand the things that need to happen in your life to put off these things, that sanctification, to continue to put off the things in your life that are drawing you away from that intimacy with God that Jesus died so that you could have, as you begin to put those things off and you begin to practice that presence of God even more in your life, you will begin to be grateful. You will begin to have a heart of gratitude. And as we try to readjust our minds to that, one of the best ways is to actually work at it, to find ways to journal it, to find ways to maintain it, to find ways to communicate it. The so what's for this week are, how thankful are you? Really, how grateful are you? And secondly, what steps do you need to take to live a life of gratitude to the Lord? As a disciple, what are some steps that you can take to live a life of gratitude? If you're here in the room in your bulletin, I've included a thank you card. And, and if you're watching online, maybe you have a thank you card in your home or, or even a piece of paper or something. One of the things you can do to begin to really expand gratitude is to begin to write thank you notes and and to begin to have outward expressions of the gratitude that you have. I find for myself so many times I think of things I'm grateful for, but I never tell the person that I'm grateful for that. As we look at that and think about it, giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus, I, I have a video as we prepare to fill out this thank you card, I have a video that I'd like to ask you to watch. I just wanted to stop everything and take the time today to let you know how very thankful I am that you've been there for me. 
to say thanks for never giving up on me. Thank you for providing meals for us after Blake's surgery. Thanks for making sure I always had a ride to chemo. And thank you for helping me through this difficult season in my life, God. Thank you, God, for teaching me to be a strong single dad. Dear God, thank you so much for giving me this new job. I love it. Thanks for sending Jeff to take my shift last week so I could be with my family. For keeping me company on the first day of school. Thank you, God, for helping us get that bill paid. Thank you, God, for the clothes on my back. For giving me the courage to speak the truth. Thank you for forgiving me. For making my day better. For giving my life a melody. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for every single day. One final thing, God. Thank you for always loving me, no matter what. Maybe you were captivated by the fact that they were writing out the thank you gifts, cards and all of a sudden it was to God. Have you ever written a thank you card to God? Have you ever written it out, what it is you're thankful for? He has been involved in your life this week in an amazing way. In this morning, he has been involved in your life before you even got here. How many things are there that you could thank God for that happened just this morning? And how many of those things do we take for granted? Now I know how it is that, oh man, you're gonna walk out of here and life's gonna take you over and you're gonna wish you had done this. But could I ask you, find time today or tomorrow to actually do this to write out a thank you card to God. Just put one or two things on there. Maybe pop it in your Bible right here at Colossians 3 to remind yourself that because of Jesus, our mediator, we can give thanks to God, our Father. Lord God, search our hearts and remind us to watch for places where we can be grateful where we can have outward expressions of the gratitude in our hearts and in our lives. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive me, Lord, for the times I'm so ungrateful, for the times we are, and draw us into this heart of gratitude. Allow us to live our lives praising you and being thankful for your glory, and in your name we pray, amen. May I ask you to stand and hear a benediction. There's a song that we've sung that actually finds its roots in these verses. You'll maybe recognize it as I read it as a benediction for us. May the mind of Christ our Savior 
live in us from day to day by his love and power controlling all we do or say. May the word of God dwell richly in our hearts from hour to hour so that all may see we triumph only through his power. May the peace of God, my Father, rule our hearts in everything, that we may be calm to comfort the sick and sorrowing. May the love of Jesus fill us as the waters fill the sea. Him exalting, self-abasing, this is victory. Amen. Amen. I am so thankful for you, seriously, and I release you to a week of work, witness, and worship. God bless.